Welcome to the Health Binge Podcast with me, Dr. Stephen Ryan, and Adam. And Dr. Adam. This week we're going to be talking about the big news from the week, and that's Benefer 2.0. Adam, your thoughts? Are they bumping uglies again? I think so, yeah. I mean, this goes out to people. You can't just put out libel, especially with Batman. It's not libel. To be honest with you, there I don't think there's any way that Ben Affleck could claim that it's libelous to say he's banging J-Lo. Like, that just would not stand up in any court. There's something a bit strange about it. Someone as famous and, you know, I guess for some people, maybe someone you might look up to, seeing him sneak into his ex-girlfriend's DMs and just being such a, a kind of a snake... Yeah, well, he there recently he was bitching because he added somebody on some dating app and they they like got rid of him or out of it or something. And he's like, "You can't do that. It's me, Ben Affleck." Yeah, he was on there's there's a there's a dating app for celebrities, and this girl was on it, and she like it's invitation only, uh, like like a Gmail was it at the start. I don't know why I said that. She she was on it. And <laughs> it's she just ma- like Gmail. <laughs> yeah, Gmail. And she matched with Ben Affleck and she didn't think it was him. So she unmatched him and he found her, which you didn't include. He f- tracked her down on Instagram, Batman, and sent her a video of himself saying, how could you unmatch with me? I'm Ben Affleck. What a... I think, I think we passed over that Gmail joke too quickly. I thought that was well done. Thank Careful. you very much. Uh, yeah, it's just... It's just, does it not creep you out? Do you not find the whole thing skeezy? Yeah, I'd say Ben Affleck is a kind of a sleazy dude, though. Yeah. I mean, he is Casey Affleck's brother. That is fair. I always forget that. His publicist (laughs) must be, like, working super hard to make people forget they're related. Speaking of publicists, and it's actually funny you bring this kind of stuff up because it was something I want to talk about along these lines uh, in a bit. But speaking of a weird thing for a publicist to do, someone who got into equal kind of trouble for just being a bit of a a weird one is Seth Rogen. This actress came out recently and gave him flack for still working with James Franco after he was a, a sexual pest towards her. And right. She was saying, oh, oh, Seth Rogen, you shouldn't put your name to, to James Franco's work anymore because you don't want to work with abusive, toxic people. And like the internet caught on because James Franco has a big, a big long history of, of being a sex pest, even to underage girls. And, and the fact that they've worked together so long uh, means that, you know, Rogan was aware of this and didn't speak up about anything. So she was calling for him to speak up about it. And lots of the internet did as well. And <laughs> Seth Rogan's reaction to this was to... Uh, just post a picture of himself with a shaved beard and change the conversation completely. As Don Draper would say, if you, if you don't like what people are saying, change the conversation. He is unrecognisable without the beard. But the thing is, this isn't the first time even in the last two or three years he hasn't had a beard. This is just the first time not having a beard has been conducive to PR spin for him. Yeah, I suppose, yeah... Your man is fair dislikable, uh, James Franco. 
Oh, Jesus, yeah. He's, in the decisions he makes as an actor, in what he decides to point his penis at, extremely dislikable. I watched this series that he was in. Um, Freaks about, and Geeks? No, it's about prostitutes in New York. Okay. I think it was called... Cheers. Whores in New York. Okay. <laughs> um, I can't remember what it's called, but that's what it's about. And Jesus, it was brilliant. I think he was a director on it. And what was the name of your one? Maggie Gillenhall. Okay. Was like the other writer, director, producer, or whatever they were on it. I can't remember. Right. And Jesus, it was brilliant. Really good show. Okay. Despite James Franco being in it. Despite James Franco being in it. And you kind of go, ah, you're so fucking annoying. But this is really good. There's this balance, I think. Like, obviously, everyone knows about the, the the whole thing of just fucking... You have to divorce the artist from the art if you want to appreciate something when the person who made it is problematic. But I find that behind that, there has to be a balance, too. You know, like, with J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter. Harry Potter's fantastic. She's a shit. I don't think she's even a shit. From, like, just looking at the same stuff, I think more people who want her to be a shit make her a shit rather than anything she's said from what I can see. Now, maybe she has, like, she has her perspective on stuff. And I think, I mean, whether you like it or not, I don't think, I don't, I don't think she, she indulges in particularly shitty behavior. It's not like Glinner. I mean, I, just I, having no one, an, no one is bad as Glinner, but having a, having an opinion that's, is she pretty not, vocal not against people as individuals as well, though? I mean, I like again. I, I I sitting here without any evidence, but I remember thinking it at the time that she was getting more flack than was justified. Like, I mean, Glinner Glinner is a piece of shit. It just like he what his behavior was awful, but she just has she has a, a perspective and a viewpoint, and it's not necessarily a particularly popular one but i feel like that's all right to a certain degree it's, it's certainly right to have opinion. beliefs as long as they don't you know impinge on another person's lifestyle uh, or, or you know the way they choose to to live their life what i think it is for most people with jk rowling is especially with this you know with our generation uh she you know wrote their childhood essentially and because you're writing a magic world and you're writing a story about a weird kid who, you know, doesn't fit into normal society, people who feel othered uh, by society, th- they will always flock towards fantasy. And, and when the number one children's fantasy writer of a generation comes out against, you know, a way of living that is othered or other, uh, that's going to crush you. I think if you hold somebody who is a creator of popular culture, in such high esteem, there's something fucking wrong with you in the first place. Well, uh, this is the conclusion I wanted to draw towards with it, is it depends on the balance of what that creator does. And I always call it Geldof's Law. How often have you called it Geldof's Law? Actually, a good few times. I really like the term. Thank you for <laughs> putting a hole in that. If the amount of, you know, rhetoric and garbage they talk is greater than the output than the creative or cultural output they've ever put out there, then you can write them off. Then they're a cunt. Is that the case with her? It's certainly the case with Bob Geldof. I don't think it's the case oh, with J.K. Rowling. Bob Geldof. Yeah. 
I, Jesus, I saw him in England performing and it was so, like, you just felt so embarrassed watching him. I was reading the other day that Geldof called Russell Brand a cunt and Russell Brand responded by saying something like, of course, Bob Geldof knows so much about famine. He's been dining off. I don't like Mondays for the last 30 years. But he hasn't even been dining off. I don't like Monday. He's been dining off live, live aid, yeah. like it was Bob aid. And seemingly, like, most of his money now comes from television production. He He's invested in telecommunications companies and, and uh, production companies, and he's just kind of a, a mini mogul unto himself. Not a mogul is not the right definition for it, but he's just, oh, he's just a, a terrible yoke. And his output of shite talk has been way more prolific than his output of creative work. Therefore, he's a cunt. Yeah, I like the Boomtown Rats stuff, but... But I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's way outweigh. He's he himself way outweighs any of his artistic merit by being a jackass. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to keep the platform you have, you need to keep doing the thing you're famous for. I think, and not just be famous for speaking, unless that's what you're famous for in the first place. Mm, I mean, and then I also feel it. There's a certain amount of leeway with separating art from the artist. I mean, I'm not going to dislike Father Ted because... No. I remember having a conversation one day, um, just an idle conversation with somebody, and they said, they were saying about how shit Hitler's art was. (laughs) Okay. And I was kind of going, I had seen, and I'd say the person who I was discussing it with had not actually seen Hitler's art, but had decided that Hitler's art was shit. Now, have you seen Hitler's art? I'm just Googling it now. I believe I have, but I just don't have anything. I think he was mostly like kind of landscapes and stuff, wasn't he? Landscape buildings and landscapes um, and, uh, and sort of city scenes. He His stuff is quite good. It's not like it's not shit. It, it mightn't be the best, you know, and and I understand when people say it doesn't doesn't boom with emotion or or sort of creativity but they're they're definitely not bad paintings okay so i'm looking at them here and what i'm getting is like i i think you're you're overstating the fact a little bit they're absolutely passable here is someone who's able to draw but Uh, there's nothing here that speaks to me as he's an artist you know he's he's very good at drawing I definitely think he's a reasonable, you know, I mean, for someone who wasn't trained, I think they're a reasonable, you know, they're better than, they're better than a lot of amateur effort. So I think, I think they're quite good, given the fact that he was not professionally trained, given the fact that I, I, I didn't think there was anything, like if I painted them, I'd be like, Jesus, I'm great. But that this is it. If you painted them, they'd be great. But you're not trying to make a living as an artist. What a lot of Hitler's paintings I'm picking up are is they're just paint by numbers. This is what painting looks like. There's there's no art in them conceptually. Anyway, when I was having this discussion, I was like, I oh, know, I don't know. I thought they were thought they were all right. You know, they weren't terrible. Like not terrible mm. pieces of art. And I was like, oh, do you know what I think happened? I think you're mis you're meddling the fact that he was responsible for so many million deaths with his art. 
which I think is is probably what had happened. And I think a lot of people do that. I mean, his art was shown to an art critic, you know, without being told who it was. And the art critic kind of complimented it. Mm. I don't think it's awful. It's not awful, but I'd be really surprised to see it in an art gallery. I'd expect to see it in, in the walls of an art school. Maybe. I don't know. I'm Like, I'm not, I wouldn't be an art critic particularly. I just sometimes see things that I like. No, I, I think especially, especially for the time, it's not like, it's, you talk about the turn of the century and like after World War One and things like that, you, like art was fundamentally changing and you had a lot of... Those paintings would have been before World War One, no? Oh, yeah, do you know what? Maybe there's egg all over my face. This might have been the 18... 1908 to 1913, yeah, so it is yeah, before yeah. World War One. you're right. Okay. So are you saying he's a brilliant artist now? No, but I can't hold him to, like, modernist or surrealist conventions the way you would with, you know, the, the toilet in the middle of the, the gallery or, or uh, Guernica or anything like that. And also he's just not of that calibre because they are done by some of the greatest artists in the world. I yeah yeah but but exactly I mean th- I guess that's what I'm trying to get at is is behind their work there's art behind his work is someone so who what, can paint. What we've summed up is Hitler is a better artist than me, but a worse artist than the best artists in the world. <laughs> and I remember you also said he was very handsome. I'm pretty sure I didn't say that one. <laughs> Did like his gesticulations though? They're kind of crazy when you look at them uh, and take away the context. Do you know, it is hard, though, to disassociate his gesticulations from, you know, because immediately you want to go to, you know, that Napoleon complex, the little man gesticulating wildly to to be uh, to be seen. I'm not sure it's possible to look at a video of Hitler without context. But I think I think they covered it well in Father Ted. Remember when he was he had the square piece of dust in the window? And 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 he was um and he was oh Jesus how did this perfectly square yeah. piece of dust yeah, but the yeah, way yeah, he was yeah. gesticulating kind of captured just how ridiculous it actually is t- to be talking I think we're just kind of used to seeing Hitler doing these weird gesticulations but when you actually just kind of stop and think about the way he's moving it's so bizarre and weird. Mm. Do you ever see a speech by Huey Long? No. I would recommend taking a look at it on YouTube. He was an American populist politician. I think he was could have been governor of Louisiana at some point. There's a film that's kind of based on him called All the King's Men. Sean Penn is in it. Really good film. Very interesting guy. I think he was going to run for president of the US, but he got shot. Okay. He got shot, I think, on the state Senate floor or whatever. But he gives this this uh, this talk about about sharing wealth. But again, he's of the same time and watching the gesticulations, the movement of his arms. It was obviously in the nineteen thirties, such a, a sort of a an oratorical fashion. Uh, for sure, yeah. I mean, because I guess what you, what you want to consider as well is like newsreel TV had only just started this thing so a lot of people probably wouldn't have known how to react uh, on television because 
most speeches would have been delivered, you know, in person in front of crowds and you have to be exaggerated uh, so people way up the back can see you. Uh, so that nuance of television hadn't really crept in yet. Yes, that is a thing. That's definitely a part of it. I guess it was probably also just maybe a bit of a fashion. Yeah. That, you know, that, that when you spoke, your your physical movements uh, were, were sort of a characteristic, whereas now people are very reluctant to overly gesticulate when speaking. He did ruin it for everyone, didn't he? I don't know. I think he could make a comeback. Not maybe his way of doing it, but generally... Gesticulation. Gesticulating a little bit wildly. I hope it makes a comeback. It's so... Uh... The fucking science of public speaking is like even to the fact that you can't point your finger unless you're making a specific point. Like if you're just talking, you got to put your thumb in the, you know, the fold of your forefinger and uh, a gesture like that. And they have such a like, like, like I said, there is nuance now because we have television. Uh, These kind of things are so fucking just wrote. uh, This is how you do public speaking now. It would be strange if someone did gesticulate wildly to see that happen. I find it so interesting to watch different fashions in speech over time. Mm. Um, recently, I was watching Neil Kinnock. A sound is home. He was a Labour leader in a Labour Party leader in uh, the UK in I think the in in nineteen eighties mm. and. I was just interested, I think even up to that point, they referred to each other as comrades and stuff in the Labour Party in the UK, you know. But it's just interesting to see the the pattern over time of how how they decide to present themselves. And going back then going back then to the to the sixties, you have a lot more pointing than you do now. Yeah. I just think it's neat. <laughs> I just think it's neat. No, I totally agree with you. Like I said, the you know the thumb in the forefinger to stop you pointing is definitely a thing now. That the, clearly someone said uh, pointing is authoritative, and unless you're trying to come off authoritative or admonishing, you don't you don't do that. You know, it's it, it's it's all a power gesture in the same way. Trump will grab you by the hand and pull you towards him. It's all body language to portray a particular message because i am looking at pictures of, of huey long here and he's pointing away and he's making fists and it's it, it's definitely even just these still images are, are given the body language of a politician who doesn't exist uh in in power like i i can see someone with his body language being a governor or a senator from you know texas or something but not a, a president yeah they described Henry Grattan as a kind of a rubber man. Okay. When he was, because he just, you know, when he, when uh, orating, this would be the 1790s, he kind of used his whole body to really go for it. Um, Wacky inflatable arm flailing tube man. But of course we don't have anything recorded, but you get, you get, get even just people comments, people's comments going back through history on how people spoke. And I find it, just find it a very interesting thing. If you could see anyone in history speak, for any period, who would it be and why? I'm reminded of a Norm Macdonald bit where he says about going back in time to kill Hitler. But knowing me, I'd probably get lost in his beautiful eyes. 
um, he would definitely be an interesting one to see speak, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to follow him as well because of the German aspect. So yeah. Um, so, well, assume language is not a barrier. You'd be able to understand it. Yeah, I like I I I kind of would like to see see him speak just. But then again, you see, you can see videos of him speak, so you kind of have an idea of what's going on. Yeah. Um. So maybe somebody before that, I'm just reminded of the life of Brian with Jesus giving his talk, and he's like, uh, blessed are the peacemakers. And he's like, what did he say? Blessed are the cheese the makers. makers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know, you're, you're, a, you're, you're a history doctor, as you pointed out at the start. Is there no one that you're like, there is. oh, shit, that would have... I would love to see... Daniel O'Connell speak. Okay. Because apparently he was an incredibly powerful and thoughtful to how oratory works. So he used to pick where he would stand to address a crowd because he would size up the acoustics. uh, Right. Well, in order for it to have maximum impact. And then Mm. when he got to the point whereby you know, there was a quarter of a million or half a million at his um, his monster rallies. They would have people relaying the message. Wow. And just to see that kind of discipline and organization, I think, would be hugely fascinating. So I would be quite interested in seeing one of Daniel O'Connell's monster rallies. That's a good one. I didn't know that he had a fucking... Essentially... Like screens in the form of other people projecting his message. That's fascinating. Yeah, it is. It's it's very. I mean, just the management of that kind of a crowd, and even the ability to keep people peaceful and to manage that amount of people at that time. I mean, the event management of that was insane. Where would he hold these rallies? Like he held them in different locations around the country. The biggest ones. I think he held a Tara. Right. And then he was to hold one at Clan- in Clantarf. But when he was to ho- hold it in Clantarf, there was a threat of violence and there was meant to be a million people at it and it got pulled at the last minute and he got thrown in prison after it. So it was sort of the beginning of his downfall. Yeah. And after that then... That was nineteen four or eighteen forty four, and he died then in eighteen forty seven. His he died on the way to Rome. He was traveling to Rome, and when he died, and he asked that his heart be sent to Rome and his body to Ireland. That's a bit of a tall order. Mm. And his body is buried in Glasnevin Cemetery. Oh, I've seen it in the big pillar thing. Yeah, I think his heart is in Rome somewhere. I, right, that pillar in Glasnevin in, for, for Daniel O'Connell, right? Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. So, for people listening, there's, you know, the big fucking shaft pointing out of the ground and O'Connell's in that. And around it then are about 24 smaller chambers. What do you call them? Like, uh, mausoleum, is that right? Isn't mausoleum freestanding? Um, anyway, f- fucking rooms where people are buried. An ossuary, maybe, is it? Uh I've never heard that, but you could be, you could very well be right. Either way, I would be fucking sickened to be one of the ones in his little offshoot graves. Are they not kind of relations and stuff, no? 
No. I mean, maybe the relations with uh, different surnames, certainly. But there are, I I did, don't recall seeing Manny O'Connell's mm. uh, on, on the names around it. And I'm just thinking, like, sure, the dude was super good. But it's kind of just like the death version of my perfect cousin, where you're like, oh, great, I'm constantly in this fucking dude's shadow now for the rest of my afterlife. Yeah. I mean, he was considered to be the greatest Irishman of all time. That's only until I was born. Oh, dear dear God. He was asked who he thought the greatest Irishman of all time was. And he said Bono. No, he said himself. Did he? He did. (laughs) That, like, would you agree to any extent? Or do you have someone you you would have in mind more? I don't know. I mean, it's such an arbitrary thing, great, because, like, you know, you could say Flann O'Brien was the greatest Irishman of all time. And he was yeah. you know, he was a drunkard and he was this, that and the other. But he wrote great books. And if that's what makes you the greatest Irishman, then maybe he was. You know, so it, it's such a... Definitely he was one of the most powerful Irish political figures of all time. So I found this uh, random historian... I guess he seems to be a historian. His... His list of the 50th, the 50 greatest Irish people of all time. I'm not going to bur- burden you with all 50. Who is it? But I'll give you the last 10 and we'll finish the episode out with that. Mark Humphreys. Okay, I don't know. Uh, I, I'll get in about just to see who the fuck he is in case he's some mad fucking lunatic. Uh, these are about my religion and politics pages. The topics you should not discuss in polite, polite society. So I don't. Instead, I discuss them here. Okay, you don't sound great, Mark Humphreys, I'm going to be honest, but I've started now. Go on, give us the top ten anyway. Right. Number ten is actually quite good, uh, Jonathan Swift. Okay. A pioneer of Western satire, irony and political humour. I would, Jonathan Swift would probably be on my top ten as well because he he basically laid out the format for what modern satire uh, is, like a template for, for great satire. I agree with that one. Yeah, and he was very instrumental in the whole uh, Woods Hapney scandal. He's a good dude. He was. I like him and his, and his little men. Uh, number nine, Archbishop James Usher. I don't know who he is. Don't know much about him anyway. Despite how silly 4004 BC looks now, the concept of trying to date the events in the Bible was a breakthrough and led to sceptical empiric analysis of the Bible and ultimately deism and atheism. Okay, he sounds pretty okay. He doesn't sound like a Catholic. He does not. <laughs> Number eight, William Thompson, first Baron Kelvin. The laws of thermodynamics and physics, uh, the concept of absolute zero and Kelvin unit of measurement is after him. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's okay. I will give him that. Uh, Number seven, William Rowan Hamilton. Who's he again? I do know that name. Hamiltonian mechanics in physics, uh, quaternions in mathematics. Oh. I know nothing about this man. Yeah. But number number six, I do, uh, is Samuel Beckett. That's quite good. I, I mean, Samuel Beckett is going to be up there in, in all time influential global writers, not just, just Irish. So he was he a bit boring there. I would say Beckett was no crack. Absolutely. I mean, you don't. Well, write, I'd say he was lots of crack in real life, but I'd say he was like. You think? Did you ever hear of the fact that he used to write, he used to drop Android the Giant to school when he was a kid? No. 
Yeah, he used to do that. How? In his car. What's the relation between Samuel Beckett and Andre the Giant? He was dropping to school. That was it when they were when he was when Andrew the Giant was small. That's amazing. Look, look it up, yeah, and it look it up. And I will. Number five, George Boole. I only know him because Boole pretty much Cork. everything in Cork, yeah, is Boolean logic, fundamental to computer science. Number four, Daniel O'Connell. There you go. Pretty sure you're not going to love this one. Right on top of Daniel O'Connell is the Duke of Wellington. It's rare that you get him considered as Irish, even though he was born in Dublin. I mean, he's definitely one of the most significant, not necessarily. I mean, it, it's it's a curiosity that one of Britain's greatest prime ministers was Irish. All right. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, greatest versus most significant. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, number two, Robert Boyle, uh, father of chemistry, one of the founders of experimental science. And a pioneer of the idea that diseases may have natural causes. He's good. Uh, number two, that's fine. I mean, no one can, you know, this is this seems to be a very science-based list. Number one, greatest Irish person ever, according to this, this person, James Humph- uh, Mark Humphreys, Edmund Burke. I, Who's he? I would not be. He, if you are at Trinity, he's one of the statues at the main gate. Okay. Edmund Burke, he's like he was one of the he was a philosopher and statesman. He was a an MP in the British Parliament. He was a big critic of the French Revolution. Definitely a significant figure, but I I wouldn't have him anywhere near the top of my list. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like again, this list uh, it seems very focused on this dude's specific beliefs. Like we've also got say we've got Tom Crean, uh, Shackleton in here. We've got John Hume, Charles Stuart Purnell, W.T. Cosgrave scoring up. I mean, Yates isn't on here. Flann O'Brien isn't on here. We've got... Joyce isn't on there, which surprised me. Joyce isn't on here either. Yes. So the only actual... Like, especially in the top 10, the only writers we've got are, are Swift and Beckett. I, I think this just says more about this Mark Humphreys dude than, than anyone else. But is there anything negative you'd like to say about Mark Humphreys before we finish up? Just take some shots at his personality. Ed, Edmund Burke, come on. <laughs> Cop yourself on, Mark. Okay, will we leave it at that so? Absolutely, we will. Stephen, up yours. We'll talk about running next week. <laughs> Exercise. Fuck Have off, a Adam. Have good week, everybody. <laughs>